The Lord of the Rings, Adventure to Mount Doom. The wonderful story of Henry Sugar. And killer trails. This is Dana. Right, lads, it's Christmas. Let's grip it and rip it. Whoa! Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Crazy boy, he's off on one. Oh, my word. Look at oh. that. Look at oh, it. lads, he's having a mid-strength lager. God. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know we were drinking tonight. I've got hot chocolate. I do have a cider in the fridge. It's a fruity cider. Go, go and get it. Go on. We'll wait for you. Treat go on. It's Christmas. Here. It's going to be a feast for the mouth. That is. There he is. Off he runs. What drink do you only drink at Christmas? Because I was thinking about this the other day, and I was like, my father-in-law makes the best Irish coffee. Right. What, first thing in the morning? <laughs> no, like as a little like denouement to the day, a little aperitif to the day, but he makes like an incredible um, Irish coffee. And, and you know, the 364 days of the year, an Irish coffee will never pass his lips. But on this one day, he makes an exception and boy, oh boy, does he make them well. Okay, if you're ending your Christmas day with that sound, do you know how, how I start a Christmas day? In the Derby household. Did you go quite traditional, Bucks Fizz? Yes. Mm. Oh my gosh, I can I can drink pints of that stuff. <laughs> it's incredible. Well, Chris, you would, have, you would have loved the, uh, when we were away in uh, Lanzarote uh, the other week, the uh, hotel that we were staying in, the first thing that you saw before... Any of the breakfast, any of the layout of any of the, the banquet that they had on offer, the, the breakfast buffet, the first thing that you saw was two massive jugs, one of Buck's Fizz and the other of the cocktail of the day. <laughs> wow. And I like thought, how how Good terrible Lord. must you find your family for the first thing to be like, oh, quickly, Anson, get, get one got of these plates in you. This in. <laughs> yeah. So Buck's Fizz to start the day, Irish coffee to end the day. Okay, I'm coming to Pete and Dan now for Elevenses and just in the afternoons to keep people tidied over for for drink we're talking about here. Now, now I know Pete's mum polishes off a bottle of Baileys a year. Yeah. No, 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 no. Let's be clear. She polishes off a bottle of Baileys one day every year. <laughs> uh, so, and and I've got to say, I, I think I think for me it's Baileys. Like yeah. I, I Baileys is is a nice little sipping drink. Of an, of an afternoon. But you don't touch it at any other point. No, I don't. During the well, year. you say that, Pete, but when I came to yours last year after Christmas, I brought your bottle of Baileys down and we watched RRR and you pretty much drank most of that. We, we shared it oh, between yeah. the three of us. It's but the classic you were the one compliment to that share. film. Straight from the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> Swigging it. Um, yeah, it's a Christmas. Uh, you know what? It's a, it's a festive period drink. That's, that's what it is, really. I'm gonna to have to go with like a like a really luxurious like hot chocolate with like whipped cream on top and all that jazz and nice. like late at night just as you as you're getting cozy mm. you're probably quite full up from your from your dinner and you just want something a little bit soothing and relaxing to send you, you off to slumber. You just had your Baileys. You just had your Baileys. Yeah. Pop some more Baileys in there and we're talking. You could, yeah, Why you could. Not? Absolutely. I do like a boozy hot chocolate. I must admit, very nice indeed. Right, just like every Christmas, you got to decide when are you opening presents. Pre-dinner, post-dinner. Now, now, now. Okay, well, let's do it now then. 
Let's do this. So this is our secret Santa. We've been doing this for, oh, God knows how many years now. £20 limit. Uh, we each give each other a little bit of a steer in terms of what we'd like from St. Nick. Usually with a with a theme around the kind of things we talk about in the podcast, kind of usually it's some kind of game or film or TV, you know. We, want, like, we like to keep it on message, you know, for, for the Staying In podcast. So with that in mind, who would like to go first i'll, I'll go, go first, first. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the most lackluster rock paper scissors i've ever experienced okay. okay so dan dan what did you ask for this christmas and have you been a good boy i believe i have i believe <laughs> i have i've tried real hard and, and you got uh, so from far. my secret sense this year quite simple i just asked for a relaxing game um mm. we occasionally will play games together and I know you guys like to play more relaxing games. And a lot of time when we're playing games, I like to kind of feel like I've achieved something or kind of a progression or something like that. So certain mm. games like Civilization or um, Power Wash Simulator, I don't, I don't Careful feel like now. I really you don't feel like there's progression. You, what? You don't feel like you've achieved yeah, no, something Sam, in to be Power clear, Wash there's Simulator. No pro- there's no progression taking uh, a Civilization from pre oh pete, pete, know, pete, pete, you don't want to dig into this all the way up to the future and to alpha centauri no pete, you no don't want to dig into this wait wait no, wait because the reason why the reason why i don't see any progression with civilization is we have tried to play that game for about five years and there are literally tens 20 different versions of the game that we have started with different configurations of us and never has it Fine. gone past the first session so i've still been fighting barbarians 10 years down the line <laughs> Yeah. So no, there is no progression Fair with enough. that. And power simulator, I'm just washing a, w- a wall. I mean, yeah, but there's still progression. It's undeniable. That yeah, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like I've achieved anything. Is is oh, the right, is well. the point I was making? So, in an attempt to perhaps engage more with relaxing games, I asked my secret Santa relax. for a relaxing game, <laughs> nice and simple. Okay, cool. Well, we'll see. We'll see. So I received, I got an Amazon package addressed to me didn't know if it was me so I, I let my wife open it it's gift wrapped so i'm hoping this is my secret santa yep i've got a message saying ho 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 merry christmas from secret santa let's that see tracks. what's in here okay it's a video game oh okay it's a video game for the nintendo switch which i currently don't have but i will in about well by the time this comes out in about a week's time i've got a game called Ooblets. Ooblets. Oh. So, uh, by the looks of it, it's kind of like a... Oh, hang on. I thought it looked a bit like a Stardew Valley kind of farming thing, but it's not because there are other pictures which are very much not Stardew Valley. I can dance, decorate, farm, explore, collect, dress up, befriend, and craft. This sounds like a, a very varied game that I can enjoy with, a, with, with my six-year-old son. He might enjoy this. Um, it looks very happy. Not doesn't seem too taxing. Um, is anybody familiar here with Ooblets? I think I think I think I know who got it, based on I think I know who got it. So I'll hold I'll hold on to that for now. Um, has everybody anybody heard of this game before? So you've got any experience? With this yeah. Game oh, I've heard of it. Not had any yeah. experience of it, but I have heard of it, and it mm. looks looks delightful. I should say. Yeah, the art, art style is like reminiscent of like Go Sushi mm. type kind of artwork. 
So the description on Steam reads, Ooblets is a relaxing and offbeat farming, town life and creature collection game. Manage your farm, grow and train your Ooblets, explore strange lands and have dance-offs. Yeah, this is the game with the dance-offs, isn't it? So you can collect Ooblets and effectively make them dance off against each other. I think Ooblets sits in that Katamari Damacy space where it's kind of like you are, you're doing something, but it's really really not anything and it is just a distraction and it's just going through a certain process to allow your brain to switch off ever so slightly the 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 tagline for this game is your life has been a giant toot i feel that's quite aggressive (laughs) there we go that's great lovely well thank you very much santa thank you very much for my ooblets he's always there He's um, keeping an eye on you as you sleep. Is that the is that the line from the keeping song? an Absolutely. eye on you while you sleep? Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't quite scan, but yeah, it's you better the, watch out. <laughs> I'm telling you why. I'm well, keeping an eye on you while you sleep. <laughs> <laughs> no, that sounds much more sinister when it doesn't rhyme. I'm going to go off brand because it's Christmas. Um, we're staying in the podcast. We like to talk about things you can do indoors. Yes, we've talking mm. about talked about going to the cinema, but that's a kind of an indoor thing. Yeah. It's an indoor pursuit, isn't it? It's an indoor pursuit. Indoors. Yes, you're absolutely right, Sam. So I want to talk about something I did outdoors, mm. uh, which I got as part of Go my on. birthday, which was Killer Trails. Mm. Now, Dan, do you remember a few years ago, we were in London... And we did like a little scavenger hunt around London with some. Pubs. I remember it very well. Yeah, in the middle of it. Yeah, it's a. It was a company called Hidden City. Yes, I think. Okay. So this is this reminded me a lot of that. So I did this around Chester. So this is a company called Killer Trails. So it's KillerTrails.co.uk, and it was um, developed by Tom Kelly. And the best way I can describe it is that it's a treasure hunt at your own pace. It's almost like a video game. You can do as much of it as you want or as little as you want because you basically, you decide as and when you do it. And it has this kind of whodunit twist attached to it. Mm. And they say it works best with groups of people between two to six. And it takes roughly... Age or... Two to three hours in terms of numbers of people. Oh, oh, numbers of people, yeah. Because that would be chaos. (laughs) (laughs) So the premise is this. Um, you pay like uh, twelve ninety nine, and you get like a PDF, which you print out. And what it has in it, broadly speaking, is a set of instructions that consist of clues that you have to solve, which you got, which guide you around a, a UK city to solve a mm-hmm. fictional crime. And they've got about 19 trails in total, which each refer to a city in the UK. They've got one in Birmingham near you, Dan, which oh, yeah. is called Peaky Finder. Uh, of course. <laughs> and Sam in Manchester near you, there's one called the Serial Killer, and that's serial with the letter C. Yeah, because the Kellogg's factories. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I did the one in Chester, which is the pol- which was called the Poltergeist Heist. So the the actual premise of the each scavenger hut is is tailored to the city, not just in terms of the places you go around, but also the kind of history of that place, really. Mm. And yeah, I did this on a cold day in Chester and you basically have this wonderfully, beautifully presented PDF where you have a list of suspects and the whole and a list of uh, uh, some murder weapons. And what you're doing is you're solving clues, which essentially 
eliminate a suspect or a weapon from your inquiries like Cluedo almost hmm. as you're kind of moving around and it's very very mythogeographic so what I mean by that is like characters names you don't realize feel quite you think oh where do they get these names from but then you start to walk around the city and you'll get to a house and it says oh yeah so and so lives here and you look up and the name of this building the name was written like de- centuries ago happens to be one of your suspects names in the book interesting and I've been going to Chester for years but I saw parts of Chester that I'd never seen before. And likewise, I saw bits of Chester that I'd been walking past for years without realising quite blithely. And here's a great thing as well, is that every three or four clues, you'll get a little symbol of a foaming um, pint of beer. And that tells you that you're near a pub that you may want to just stop in and go for a pint. So <laughs> that's nice. You could, make it, you could make a day of this as a pub crawl, and, uh, which would be okay. really, really lovely because you get into this routine, you get a direction, then a clue, and then a historical fact, which is also quite lovely, um, and then a pit stop every so often. And what I really, really quite liked about it is that, as I was saying before, character names are kind of hidden in the city. There were some really weird coincidences. And this is not a spoiler, but in the Chester one, it said, okay, you need to look for houses 616 to this amount. And it just so happened there was a bar there called 616 that had nothing to do with this. (laughs) Uh. But it felt like, oh my word, this felt like really opposite. And what was really lovely as well is the last two clues you do at home. So like we were getting quite cold and we'd, we'd, we'd eliminated everything, you know, eliminated, our, we got our suspects, we got our weapons, you know, our weapon. But then there was this additional clue that it revealed almost like a crossword that you needed to solve all the previous clues to get. But it says, oh, if you want to go to a, p- a pub or a cafe nearby, warm yourself up, you can go and finish the rest of it there if you want to. That's clever. So, it, and it's beautifully presented. You can tell that Kelly, who's the kind of creator of this company, you can tell he'd done his, his backgrounds in product design because it feels like an immaculate um, mm. kind of item, really. But my partner and I were saying, look, we need to, we, we, next time we do one of these, we're just going to go and spend a whole day doing it and just call in yeah. at pubs Get during the day. Come on. Yeah, like Sam, we'll definitely do Serial Killer mm. in Manchester. I think I think we'll have a lot of fun with this. Genuinely was a really, really wonderful thing to do for twelve ninety nine, And you can do it at your own pace. We could have literally just said, okay, we're going to do four clues because we come to Chester quite often. Um, we'll just save it there. And next time we're back here, we'll carry on. Yeah, I think, very. I, I mean, as you say, it's very similar to the one we did down in London. I did a couple of those. And kind of the, the, the point I pick up on that you said, it's such a brilliant way of exploring a city and you absolutely do see things that you would never usually see because you go down roads and avenues and places that you would never usually go down like when i was in london we would find these little gardens in the middle of kind of the built-up areas this tiny little garden which had like a, a shakespeare bust in the middle of it and there was a clue attached to that i think the ones i did were slightly different in the fact of it was all based around text messages so you would get sent mm. a clue via text message and you would have to give an answer to that based on something you found so it might be that the date somebody died based on this statue that you find and once you've given that it then gives you the next clue moves on i mean what i really like about the one you're talking about there chris is it does factor in a lot of kind of breaking up the 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 rhythm of it like the ones that i did there was kind of like a halfway point where it kind of said okay if you want it it's time for a break now we've left you near this bar feel free to have a drink and then you can pick it up again whenever you want to which is great, but we kind of like, well, you know, we're in the mood for it now. We want to keep going. Whereas for yours, it was quite. It sounds quite nice that the kind of there's a constant thing of you can stop pretty much whenever you want. It's not just like one defined time. 
and similarly the one i did we kind of ended at a pub um which ended up being packed full of people who had just done this tour um because you can do it at your own pace but obviously like on an evening on a friday evening saturday evening this is a lot of people are doing this you don't you don't see these people when you're doing the talks everyone's doing it in their own way but you're all mm. getting to the same end point um and i can't remember if that was the one that you were there for chris because a group about six of us and we did it i think with you yeah it i think it didn't have like a sherlock holmes twist on it or something mm. it could be I yeah i know great. i know i think the company now it's less about just general kind of walking tour type things it's much more narrative focused now and um, the ones that they do it's i think it's in the hidden city or something like that so there's a moriarty one there's like an alice in wonderland one and like a, a an mi5 kind of spy one which which is i think where the natural progression is and that's obviously what you've got yours that kind of whole murder mystery you have that natural progression of we need to feed a narrative in there it's not it's great to be able to have this tour this walking this experience this learning of new things because you do you you find artifacts you find kind of signs and stuff and you see things that you've never seen you learn things that you've never learned and so then you when you bolt on this murder mystery that gives you a further impetus to think outside the box around what it is you're not just kind of going clue to clue to clue bath is the closest one to you pete it's called the it's called the bath encounters i mean that sounds that sounds perfect i did one of these in bristol not this same company but um and i i agree with all of you like you see stuff and you learn something about your city that you wouldn't normally whereas i feel like when you're a tourist in somebody else's city sometimes you see it from a different perspective like you're more likely to find you know one of those nice little gardens if you're like making an active decision to go and look at and find these sorts of things so i actually quite like these and they are fun little excuses to go and explore your own city because britain's got an amazing and you know all all across the world of course but like britain's got an amazing history uh, uh, in all of its cities so much i mean we've been invaded so many bloody times that like of course it's going to be tons (laughs) of fascinating history and it's just wonderful to have an excuse to go and look at those things without f- feeling like a bit of a burke. Because, like, the whole, the, it's all an excuse, right? Like, yeah. the puzzle is all just essentially oh, yeah, a definitely. MacGuffin to go and look at, to go and find out, oh, that's what Bristol's coat of arms is and what yeah. it means. To wander off the beach. It's path. fascinating. Yeah. Chris. Okay. Wow. Well, this is going to be very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think mine's going to be handled via SMS. Oh, and something has just come through via SMS. <laughs> what a guy he is. You I know. know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so recording at 8.31pm. Um, I've had a few messages from Santa over the last few days. Actually, I'll just read them to you. I think they're quite lovely. Yeah, fill, it, can yeah, you fill us it. in on Santa and his... <laughs> Santa and his burner phone. So on Saturday, I got a message from Santa saying, Good evening, Mr. Darby. This is Santa. I just wanted to let you know that due to the nature of your request, you'll be receiving an email from my bad self on the day of recording. So don't panic. This year, I'm going all digital, baby. Much love, SC. (laughs) I responded back saying, Oh, I thought that might be the case. It's absolutely fine. Thank you for letting me know. If you could also get around to sending me that hoverboard I asked for in 1990, that would be great. Perfect. Um, Santa, I'll see what I can do, young man. Cowabunga, SC. Really leaning into. <laughs> really leaning into the whole like, down with the kids. People call me SC. Yeah. And they don't. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then today, while I was at work, just after lunch. Good afternoon, my dear Chris. Due to server issues in the poll, I presume that must be Poland. 
<laughs> I'll be resorting to SMS to make delivery arrangements for your secret Santa. Make sure your phone is on loud. Keep it chill. SC. <laughs> and then, to just now, Merry Christmas, my dear boy. A polls for the ongoing server issues. My top men are on it. But until then, we will stick with good old text messaging, just like the good old days. No SC this time. No SC. Well, I think he's. I think it's SC must have realised <laughs> that it wasn't really sticking. Okay, so what I asked for from mm. um, Father Christmas uh, was a relaxing story-led game. I've really enjoyed, for example, games such as uh, Neo Cab, for example, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Coffee Talk, uh, which yep. I've got in the past. Love those games. Almost like slightly kind of cookie cutter, cookie cutter-ish where there's very little interaction from the player. You're kind of clicking through the story, but absolutely joyful and relaxing. Virtual and novels, I think. Yes, are, virtual yeah. novels. Thank you, Sam. That's exactly what it is. No, let's all calm down. Visual. Visual novels. Sorry. Visual novels, yes. Sorry. Visual novels, virtual yes. novels. Let the weave in the room tell you what it actually is. So um, Santa has now just asked me to say, look, here's what I'm going to ask you to do for your secret gift from me. I'm going to send you four titles each title alludes to two games on the Nintendo eShop that you'll have, capital letters, to purchase using funds sent to you. It's awfully exciting, isn't it? Yes, it is, Santa. Ooh, it is. Well, I'm really intrigued by this. Hold on to your hats. That's a quote from the next t- t- message. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if SC is listening, I have 10% of my battery left. <laughs> Thought I'd better hurry up, right now. Yeah, he'd better, hadn't he? Oh, we better hurry up. <laughs> some good, some good radio. Okay, so I've had from Santa. I get a choice of hot and mysterious, drinking stories, clubs of water, or simple grooves. Ooh. Well, they sound right up my street. <laughs> well, it's going to have to be hot and mysterious. <laughs> Obviously. Mm-hmm. I see, says Santa. I don't know how he. I don't know how he heard that. <laughs> <laughs> this is going well. God, he's here. When he, you know, he's with you when you're sleeping. Yeah, <laughs> he's watching you as you sleep. <laughs> yeah. He's he stands over you. No way. Santa has bought me, and very kindly told me how much one each one costs. <laughs> Thank you, Santa. <laughs> oh, thanks, Santa. No gift receipt in this text message. Um, yeah. I've got Coffee Talk 2. I didn't know that existed. That's perfect. Thank you, Santa. And Paradise Killer, which is a game I really did want to play. That's amazing. Ooh. And as Santa, as Santa actually says, actually, a great choice. These are the games you've selected. Have a very Merry Christmas and a bodacious New Year. SC out. He's really leaning into that nice. surfer, isn't he? That's that surfer yeah. style. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's wonderful. It's almost like the clock stopped in Lapland, circa 1982. Yeah. <laughs> Me and Chris took a journey into Middle Earth. We did. Oh, yeah. We did again. Lovely this time of year. And we do do it quite a lot. We do do it quite a lot. Yes, uh, we've journeyed into Middle Earth several times actually this year, Sam. We have, and it never we gets played, old. Yeah, we played that big box of stuff that you got from um aircom from aircom and this time we played the lord of the rings adventure to mount doom oh my word 
Now, I'm sorry, Sam, but like I, this is the best looking board game I've played this year. Mm-hmm. Hands down. Really? I said to you, Sam, I said, look, I'd happily put that board on my wall. And I meant it. Yeah, it is absolutely immaculate. It's It's quite difficult to... I find it quite difficult to sort of explain how good the art is. And it's also quite difficult to explain it in relation to Lord of the Rings because we all have, I think we are all either by uh, osmosis or by direct sort of ingestation um, influenced by Peter Jackson's particular vision for what the Lord of the Rings is and was. And... The artwork for this manages to straddle such a fine line between some of those images that we come to know and reference from Peter Jackson's work. So, for example, you know, what Mount Doom looks like, what Sauron's tower looks like, what the the ring wraiths look like, even some of the characters like the, you know, the design of Gandalf and Arwen and Saruman have slightly different slants to them but they're also quite recognizable in a way and you know part of that is down to Tolkien's writing for sure but also part of that I think is uh, a slight interpretation of of Jackson's work also but it putting all that aside it still is a stunning piece of work like incredible like it's got this if I I think the thing that it most reminds me of, Chris, is a bit like Brian Baru and how good that looks. Oh, yes. No, definitely. How would you describe that? Because it almost has like there's a, a watercolory charm to it. But it, it, it somebody's gone in with and I'm not an artist in that sense, really, but like a fine liner. So it, it, it stands out very clear. All the parts of it are very clearly delineated. But it mm-hmm. still has that kind of wistful watercolory kind of charm to it where the colors really pop. Yeah, it's 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 got that sort of Celtic feeling to it. Yeah, like it it, it does almost look like a piece of Celtic folk art. Yeah, um, almost like board. Red Cathedral. Would agree. Yes, it's yeah, it's def- definitely yeah, it's definitely got that Red Cathedral, the Brian Baru um, sort of Celtic feeling to it. Um, Alexander Katz, by the way, is the um, artist for um, Lord of the Rings. Um, adventure to Mount Doom and it's yeah I I think it's one of these games where you get it out on the table I think you'll just have people gushing over how good it looks it looks good yeah how's it play what is it how do I (laughs) so right okay looks good how does it play it's like that um, not nine o'clock news song Uh, nice video shame about the song Um, shame about the game (laughs) shame about the game but I, I think the game is is actually really, really good. I think that it's definitely going for a very, very young audience. And Dan, I think for you, when yeah, you're definitely. When, when your son is a little bit older, I think you will get a lot a real turn out of this game because I think it's a not a brilliant not only a brilliant way to introduce someone who's quite young, say about like eight, nine or ten to board games but also it's a great way of introducing someone into like what the lord of the rings is so how the game works is designed by michael um, Ryanek, and quite right quite wrongly we initially assumed this was by the same designer as andor didn't we yeah, chris because it feels a bit like that 
it does it feels a lot like Andor, which again is another cracking game when it comes to playing with kids and, and playing with younger family members. But how the game works is it works in a very um literary fashion and I think which helps it in terms of bringing younger people on board with it and it also works and it's also driven a lot by luck which I think is the other thing that really helps young people be introduced to it because there's not a lot of advanced strategy there's not a lot of you know higher level thinking that someone has to do to really feel like they're contributing or that they're really getting the most out of the game because luck is a big big driver of how it works so what you have on the board is a depiction of Frodo and the Fellowship's journey from um, Rivendell through to Mount Doom. And unlike War of the Ring, it's not really trying to tell the story of the Fellowship um, because essentially you can get the Fellowship all the way from Rivendell to Mount Doom. Instead, it's kind of almost a reimagining of that Lord of the Rings tale, basically. Yeah, yeah. they, they, they can only go one way there. Wuthering, yeah. you choose your route there and you break up the band. You can break up the fellowship if you want to at any point along that journey. Mm-hmm. No, this is like a um a kind of a ghost train or a roller coaster. You're just following the track, but how far you get along that track depends on how well you play. Yeah. So in quite a traditional board gaming style, it is a roll and move game, which almost also makes it feel quite nostalgic in a way it definitely feels like a game this is the kind of game and i mean this in in like the most respectful term i can i can say it it feels like a great game that your grandparents would have owned and it will be the game that you can't wait to go to your grandparents to pull this off the off the shelf and play it at a weekend or at christmas or something like that it feels almost like you know, it has that nostalgic feeling to it. Even the artwork looks a little bit like that Lord of the Rings film from like the seventies. You know, that oh, animated the Ralph Bashiki one, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The animated version of it. Like, it feels like I, I hate to say relic because I feel like that's a that's kind of uh, a derogatory term, but it definitely feels like it, it feels nostalgic. It feels like it's bathed in the um, showers of history or something like that anyway and so how the game works is you have the map that the fellowship are going to take from Riverdale to Mount Doom and then you have um, little standee figures on the board and each standee figure represents a member or members of the fellowship so Frodo and Sam together Merry and Pippin together and then there's a standee that represents um, Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli etc 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 and you pick um, four dice and you roll two black dice and you roll two coloured dice. And the coloured dice represent one of the standees around the board. So orange is Frodo and Sam, green is Legolas, red is Gimli. And then the two black dice represent basically one of the cards that gets placed at the bottom of the board. So when you start the game, you separate out this ba- this deck of cards essentially into chapters or acts from the book. So there's one for Rivendell, there's one for Gondor, um, there's one for Mount Doom, there's one for, what's the name of the seat of the king? Gondor? Yeah, Minas Tirith. And uh, like one for Helm's Deep, that kind of thing. And 
on the start of each chapter, you deal out these cards. There's seven cards in each chapter. You deal out these cards, these six slots. One and six stay face down. Two to five stay face up. So when you're rolling these dice, you make a choice of which character do you want to move and how far, and which of the six cards do you want to have access to or do you want to have to encounter during this particular round. And then once you've picked those two dice, you'll pick then another coloured dice to replace the one that you picked and do the process again. So you end up with this lovely little tableau which sits on this lovely illustrated picture of a book of a black dice and a coloured dice and on the other page another black dice another coloured dice. So then each turn is you encounter the card what that particular number is and that could be you're facing off against an enemy like you face up against the Urukai or Sauron might summon some more um, orcs into his army or it might be that you can enlist the help of a friend like Elrond or um, Boromir and then you move the figure um, that, that is represented by the colour that you chose. You move them a certain way along the path towards the next destination. So, you know, Rivendell to Lothlorien, then Lothlorien to Rohan. And what's critical about the fact that you're moving figures is it not only gives it this nostalgic feel, but it plays a big role in how those characters can act during specific events. Now, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get Frodo and Sam to the next location on the board, to the next big destination. If you can do that, if you can do that by rolling the specific number that they need to get into the destination, you'll get a certain bonus. If not, it doesn't really matter, you know, fair enough. But if you can get them to that destination with a specific number on the dice, brilliant, you're going to get some sort of bonus. The important thing is what's happening to the Fellowship around Frodo and Sam. Because whenever you encounter a battle, you will have to fight off the Orcs, the Urukai, the uh, Ring Wraiths, but you can only use the figures who are ahead of Frodo and Sam during that current stage to help in battle. So there's always this lovely little push and pull where you're trying to get Frodo and Sam to the destination as quickly as possible because then they're safe, then they can't be harmed. But you're also trying to juggle it so the Fellowship always stays ahead of Frodo and Sam as well. Because if they're ahead of them, then they can help defend and protect the Fellowship. But if you send the Fellowship or the Ring Bearers too far ahead, then there's no one there to, to help defend them. And then there's a last twist, which is when they get to Mount Doom. And unfortunately, the few times that me and Chris have played it, we've never got them to Mount Doom. So I don't know what the I don't know what the final twist is. I don't want to. It says don't read this until you get to Mount Doom, and I'm sticking to it. But so the game is really simple. It's just rolling dice, attributing that result to characters, and kind of hoping that you've done the right thing and you can survive. There's very minimal strategy. Um, there's very minimal sort of real reasoning to be had. You really just pick the, the colours of the dice of the figures with a mind that, yeah, we really need to get them along and we really need to like get them to catch up with, with Frodo and Mary. And, and that's really it. So it just has this wonderfully nostalgic 
feeling to it. It just just does feel like it's been around for years and years and years and years. Yeah, and and I think it's interesting you say about the strategy, but I think there is a little bit. I think they, they've this game has been very well tested because it's a cooperative game, so obviously there needs to be conversation. An assumption would be that if the game is overly lacking in strategy, there doesn't need to be much conversing. You're just playing. You could play the game in silence because you're just kind of going through the motions because you're dictated by the dice. Whereas actually, we were talking quite a lot, Sam, because obviously a conversation needs to be had as to which dice you select. Um, yeah. Not just because okay, I don't want to trigger this baddie at the bottom of the table here, but actually also I, oh that's a high number, but I don't want to move these people too far ahead because I don't want them because if they go past, say for example they go past Lorian, and they're ahead yeah. of Frodo, they they actually aren't going to be good for them because they need to no, be between contribute. Frodo and their next destination. So there is conversation happening, but it's not to the extent that where it threatens to actually derail the game and bring it to a grinding halt. No, not at all. And it feels really literary. It feels like chapters in the book. It feels like there is an adventure here that you're going on and there is a story that you're that you're telling. And the rhythm of it, the pacing of it is really like that first journey from Riverdale to Lothlorien. It was like really gentle and really nice. And you sort of felt a bit of a threat there. But, you know, it wasn't really sort of present there's a few like Orakai on the round on the road and but Saruman was there in his tower but it sim still felt like far enough away and then the minute we got past Helm's Deep it felt we were like really really in it then we were really having to think about who we were sending forward and who we were trying to keep back to protect it's 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 just one of those relaxing and enjoyable cooperative experience where I don't think either of us really felt like we were burning our brains to kind of try and keep up with the game but yet it never really felt like you know the game was ever not enjoyable at any at any point I think it, it comes across from what you're saying I think there are many ways that a game could get you to follow a set route and obviously we're you're basing mm-hmm. it on on the narrative of Lord of the Rings there is a set route for them to follow there's lots of different ways a game can do that but I think it's quite difficult for it to naturally make it feel as if you're following by, as you just mentioned there, by chapters. And the way you're explaining it, you do come, it does come across that feeling. And I can imagine playing it and having that feeling of, okay, we're in Lothlorien. Let's just take a breath, as as they do in this, as they do in the story. Let's take a breath, and now we're going to have to make a move because we've got to get to that place next, and there is danger ahead of us. And I can mm-hmm. absolutely. S- kind of from what you're explaining how you explain looking at the map here and kind of hearing how you've played it it's really interesting i probably say more complex than you'd probably think it would be to create that sense of progression that structured progression in the same way that the book progresses from a to b through a story yeah. constantly ratcheting up adding elements to it and building and building and building so when you get to those later stages suddenly you've also got the element of we've come so far and the fact is that you've you've not got to the end so there is not a case of oh if we just keep playing we'll get to the end and we'll complete the story kind of no you've come so far and there is can now kind of there's a lot of things that could kind of halt your progress here you're not going to be able to just keep going and i think that's a really interesting kind of style of game to play especially kind of the idea being that it's not a strategy thing it is just rolling and moving and obviously it it it's a beauty as you say the artwork is beautiful but 
my first thought when I looked at it was that doesn't look particularly interesting in sense of you're moving from spot to spot to spot to spot to spot. It's very kind of basic in that sense. But when you're factoring in all these narrative elements, mm-hmm. absolutely, you start throwing in strategy and everything else and you will lose that. You'll lose that that core element of we are the fellowship going along this journey. Yes. Yeah, because yeah. there are a couple of clocks in this game, so you can't dilly-dally. So you, you may be thinking, listener, okay, well, I just pick the low dice and we just slowly move our way forwards and be very pensive but there are several clocks one of those clocks which is one of the ways in which sam and i lost um, the first time we played was the ring wraiths so you have these little figures of the ring wraiths in the top right hand corner oh sorry the top left hand corner of orthanc and in instances you may end up activating them and it might just say okay remove a ring wraith off the board so when they're all gone that's it so it's very helpful in terms of not prevaricating too much, which means that you're again it, it removes that sense of analysis paralysis. You cannot cannot really falter. You cannot dilly dally really, and that means no. as a consequence that one of the joys about this game for me is the fact that those two cards that are face down in the one slot and the six slot. Sometimes they weren't flipped, and yeah. looking forward to the next deck coming out. Oh, we've made it to the next level. A new deck's coming out. Oh, it's got oh, it's beautifully painted. This deck, beautifully designed. What 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 are we going to get? Who are we going to get? And it feels like a Disney film. You know, the mm. people you meet along the way. Oh, I'm going to give you this adv- uh, as a little boon yeah, yeah. that you can use in the future. Oh, there's Galadriel. Oh, thanks, Galadriel. Oh, brilliant. We'll we'll make good use of that thing you're giving us here. Oh, we ra- we we because we powered through this level. We didn't actually meet Galadriel um, because we rushed ahead. So. Um, I could have, we could have happily just played several um, games of this back to back, I think, and had a rich experience each time. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, I think the only thing that's, I, I'm sort of trepidatious about it is when we finally play it a few more times again and make it to Mount Doom. I don't know how satisfying it's going to be to play it subsequent subsequent times because there are only there are only seven cards to each deck, and you use six every turn. Two of them are face down. So after three or four more plays, I think we will have a pretty good idea about what's going to be coming up through each chapter. We're going to sort of know what to expect and we can plan a little bit ahead, which is why I think this definitely does skew towards younger players and to having a family around the table playing it rather than to men in their 40s listening to trip-hop versions of the Lord of the Rings soundtrack. Like, no matter how lovely that was, like, I imagine sharing this with a young family would be really, really exciting. In the same way that rolling a dice and activating the mechanism for mousetrap is exciting for a young child, I can imagine for another, getting, rolling a dice and ensuring that the ring bearer has made itself self safely to Helm's Deep or that you've fought off an attack by Yorokai will be just as equally as exciting. Sam. Right. What did I ask for? I asked for the best shortest game. That's a good request. It's a great request, isn't it? Because two of those mm. things are very, very subjective. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I.e. Yeah. what you think is the best and what um, you think is short. I mean, and what is a game after all? Absolutely. Mm. So imagine my surprise because I was expecting a Steam code or uh, a PSN code to some darling indie title. 
that you know packs a hard punch 20 minutes long woof in out job done woof. and you got Ooh. twilight imperium fourth edition oh good lord <laughs> yeah no but that might be the best shortest game it's so good that the shortest a game can be to reach that height is 12 hours so right, it, it really was a yeah. good you know yeah that makes good. sense um, so instead of that I received this huge box okay. okay that's big I mean it could still be a steam code I mean it could I mean I'd like to think we're more environmentally friendly than that but what a steam yeah. code engraved into a tablet of some sort <laughs> yeah or a brick so or the just first a piece of paper ever, I think I've had to get my old pen knife out so get into this so it's definitely not some kind of light card game that's what I mean like I have card games is it heavy it is quite weighty yeah interesting so I I mean I would really like to know the thinking behind this or the lack thereof (laughs) (laughs) the annoying thing is about this is the other reason why I was hoping I was just going to get a code for something is that we're currently three months into um, a local bin strike (laughs) so (laughs) my recycling and waste bins haven't been picked up since October and they won't until the new year so (laughs) oh that's what Merry Christmas yeah (laughs) wow (laughs) alright okay so it's a board game Mm mhm Okay. Made by the company Jumbo. Okay. It lasts. It lasts for 30 minutes. Okay. okay. This is a game by legendary game designers Prospero Hall. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, he did Jaws. Horrified. Uh, Villainous. Rocketeer. All good uh, stuff. Yeah, really like them. All good games. And this is how to rob a bank. <laughs> right. What's the blurb? What's what's how to rob th- a bank about? I think that was the blurb, Pete. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Join forces. This is the game for everyone uh, for ages 10 to 99. At first, I thought that was a player count. I thought, oh, my God, Jesus Christ. Jeez. I'm not sure how age-appropriate it is, considering the blurb is join forces to neutralise the bank guards. (laughs) Yeah, some 99-year-olds not happy with that. And steal the loot. One player plays the bank. The other players are bank robbers out to hit the bank. The map of the bank is never the same in the strategic bank robbery game. Oh, yeah, there's there's stuff in here that looks a little bit like... it, It does look a little bit like... Burger Brothers. Not gonna lie. Okay. The cunning bank robbers have to join forces to plan the robbery and get away with the loot, but the bank guards have a few tricks up their sleeve to thwart their attempts. They do everything possible to prevent the bank from being robbed. Can the bank stop the robbers in their tracks before they head off with the contents of the vault? That's... That sounds good. I think I had heard of this game before, but definitely a, a Prospero Hall joint. I am interested. I think, but what interests me more is I'd love to know more about how this fits in with the criteria for that one Mm. specific person's subjective opinion, Mm. which is the whole reason why I picked 
the mm. best shortest game. Well, how many games have Prospero Hall made which will only last 30 minutes? Quite a That's lot. That's a good question. Because obviously, obviously they're a very good developer. But if they've not made many short games, then this could well be the best short the game. Short. It's the short game made by the best company. I don't know. Just throwing it out there. Maybe. Maybe. But they've definitely made games that are 30 minutes. But thank you. As ever, Santa. Let's see. You know, as we're uh, approaching Christmas, I don't think, I mean, I don't know about you guys, I don't like if I'm going to start something or watch something on TV or something, I don't like to watch anything too heavy around Same. Christmas time. I like, I like to keep it light. And I've been, I found something, I say I found something, it's not, it's, it was, I think, very well advertised. It's not like I've found a little nugget in the base of, of the Netflix library. I've been watching this, the compilation of kind of short films of Roald Dahl. On Netflix. Oh, these are the Wes uh, Anderson ones. Yeah, written and directed by Wes Anderson. In 2021, Netflix basically bought, just kind of bought the Roald Dahl story company for like nearly 700 million. And so they have all the rights to kind of adapt any of the um, Roald Dahl stuff. They've already, they're in the middle of kind of creating an animated version of The Twits, which was one of my kind of favorite Roald Dahl books when I was growing up. From the only kind of promotional though. shot I've seen. Doesn't look like the twits I remember, so I'll, I'll, I'll hold my view on that one until it until it comes out. Uh, but the first thing, one of the first things that's come out is this series of adaptations of short stories of Roald Dahl. So this isn't kind of any of these mm. big stuff. Obviously, you like of your Fantastic Mr. Fox, Matilda, George's Marvelous Medicine. Also, it's not it's not those. This is four short films. So one kind of forty five minute, forty minute um, short film, and then three kind of fifteen to twenty minutes ones. So we've got the the wonderful story of Henry Sugar, um, which is taken from uh, a compilation of short stories called The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar and Six More. Uh, the only other one in that compilation that was kind of covered here is called The Swan. And then there's other two other stories called Poison and The Rat Catcher. I'm not familiar with any of these, Dan, actually. I, I was not about... I was not familiar kind of at all, really. It's like like classic Wes Anderson cast uh, of some of his favourites. So there's no Adrian Brody, who's in a lot of them, but it's a cast of basically five, six people um, across all of them. And then the other than Ralph Fiennes, they all appear in two of the four um, films. So the, the actors are Benedict Cumberbatch, Ralph Fiennes, who appears in all of them, either as a character or as Roald Dahl, um, Dev Patel, uh, Richard oh, Ayoade, yeah. Sir Ben Kingsley and Rupert Friend. So, as I say, yeah, of the four of them, they all appear in kind of ver in various groups, and I kind of put it on because I'm I kind of missed the boat with Wes Anderson. Um, I'd seen the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou because some of the, like it, people have been raving about it, and I eventually watched it, and well, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't quite as brilliant as I'd, I'd, I was expecting it to be. It's one of the things where it got really built up, um, and then just a couple of years ago maybe like last year, the year before, I watched um, The Grand Budapest Hotel, which is probably oh, the most film. critically well-received of all of them. I fell asleep to that. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a glowing recommendation from Santana here. Well, it's not ne hang on, it's not necessarily a bad thing. You may have had a long day, Dan. We don't know what was happening at that point in your I life. I was on my honeymoon and I just... just... <laughs> hang on, sorry. I wasn't aware of this. You were on your... So was this on a plane, I presume? No, 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 no. What do we watch on the plane going out? I watched a couple of things. Um, 
and that was New York. What did I watch on the plane going out? Can't remember. I watched I watched Venom next to a small child. And <laughs> wow. And I was watching it and it was just like, this is meant to be plane safe. And on a plane, everything should be viewable by anyone because you, you, there's no control over, you know, what, stopping what people watch. But it was a lot more violent and aggressive. And there was this just like eight-year-old sitting next to me, like wide-eyed, no parents <laughs> near them, just like... <laughs> <laughs> okay, wow. That's extraordinary. Yeah, but no, we, we, we were in the hotel. We had a long day and uh, someone had left themselves logged in on Netflix. So we um, we sat back and watched. I think we ordered some room service. You're on your honeymoon. And we watched Grand Budapest Hotel and I fell asleep. Nice. Wow. Okay. Wow. Thanks wow. for that. So Dan, so Wes Anderson. So um, you watched the Grand Budapest Hotel. Have you watched the Darjeeling Limited? Uh, I've not watched all of the Darjeeling. I, was, I recently started watching it. And then something came up. I was like, you know what? I, I, I don't have the focus it's to be able to watch favorites. this properly now. I will yeah. I will come back to it. But um, I just, I was, I was really, happens. I was really taken by kind of the art style. And obviously I knew kind of there is a very distinct visual style for Wes Anderson. You know when you're watching a Wes Anderson film. Yes, um, definitely. Very, very clearly. And you know when you see a trailer for a Wes Anderson film, there are parodies online of like people have parodied a trailer for a different film in the Wes Anderson style because it's so kind of yeah. specific. Iconic. Yeah. So I'd watch that and I just, I did, I fell in love with that. I fell in love with the 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 rhythm of the speech, the rhythm of the language, all of it, the pace of the story, yeah. the twisting narrative, all that stuff. Really loved it. And so I've, I've watched some more of it. And so when this came up, I was like, yeah, this looks great. Some great actors who I like. Roldal felt like a good fit for that kind of, adaptation and I, won't, I mean i won't go into kind of all of my if i touch on kind of the, the the main one which is kind of the headline one which is the wonderful story of henry sugar which is a story about it's a short story about a man who learns how to see without his eyes um so it's a guy who trains himself to be able to see with his eyes closed and it's it's this fantastical fable about um, a man who learns and then teaches someone else and how he uses it for good or for bad and, and that kind of thing. And it's kind of bookended by Ralph Fiennes playing Roald Dahl in his shed where he would typically write. So he's sat there kind of as a, as a doddery kind of old man in an armchair with a, like a, t- a table sat on his lap with a heater, which every now and again comes on and he's telling the story to the audience it's all about breaking that fourth wall there's kind of no realism no naturalistic element to it very very uh specific kind of tone that you would expect from Wes Anderson but the thing I was I was really taken with it was especially in the wonderful story of Henry Sugar there is this element of theatrical space and there is this constant thing of a scene moving and the camera moving across scenes and across sets or someone walking behind a set. And at times, like, Benedict Cumberbatch walks on screen as, like, a stagehand and then looks at the screen and quickly scampers off. And there's a lot of, kind of, maybe a set moving and lifting up and there is a set scene really revealed behind it. And it's so many little theatrical tricks. And it's very Brechtian in the sense of it's not... It doesn't want you to engage with it and become invested in it. It wants you to keep you at a distance to admire it. And kind of that whole like Stephen Burkhoff's style of theatre of very defined action, whether it's movement, whether it's speech, everything is very precise, which again, all of this kind of flows perfectly with that Wes Anderson style, that if you know those films, you know exactly everything he does is very specific. The camera of movement falls into a particular spot with a particular scene 
and it's it was just a really really lovely thing to watch and i think around this time i don't like to watch anything big and deep and long i don't want to watch a 10 episode series that i have to binge and get involved in this was 40 minutes and then 20 minutes and 20 minutes and 15 minutes i could just sit back relax and be and be told a story and it was really really lovely question i want to ask dan is obviously the last thing um Roald Dahl that Wes Anderson did was Fantastic Mr Fox which was a a mm. wonderful stop motion yep. animation when when you were watching this did it feel that this would have worked better as that kind of stop motion animation Wes Anderson-esque kind of film or you know because you think about Roald Dahl the first thing I think of are the illustrations of Quentin Blake yeah which are extremely iconic very distinctive you know you mentioned the twits beforehand the twits basically is a drawing just looks like a seismograph reading with a pair of angry eyes for each of them so i'm just really curious to know with that kind of polished you know very distinctively aesthetic style that is tends to be quite polished and quite heightened you know i'm thinking yeah. particularly grand Budapest hotel does it work does Roald Dahl work well with wes anderson as a live action film as opposed to stop motion mm-hmm. i I, th- I think I think the big difference here is Fantastic Mr. Fox, and it's the same with the Twits, who obviously are being made as an animation. Uh, they are children's books. These shorts, not that they can't be enjoyed by adults, but these short stories are adult short stories. These are not children's short stories. Right. They, they, they deal okay. with kind of the, the the subject matters aren't deep and dark, but they're absolutely they're not. I don't think kids would get as much out of them. Um, like the, there is one of them is the rat catcher and it's all about this creepy rat catcher and what does he do to kill the rat and how does he catch them and he goes through all this different stuff and it's basically a three-hander between ralph fiends as the rat catcher richard ayoade and rupert friend and it's just that kind of constant back and forth about these stories about how do you kill a how do you kill a rat oh the rats are very clever you've got to think like a rat and all this stuff and he becomes quite rat. all this stuff kind of there's nothing inappropriate for kids but the kids aren't really going to get it but that's okay because right. these stories weren't made for kids um okay. in that sense but there's a lot of kind of when when he's telling the story it's obviously the screenplays are all it's not a direct kind of word for word adaptation there is a screenplay by Wes Anderson and I did actually I, I listened to an audiobook of I think it was the rat catcher and I was just curious as to kind of what's it like for like and it absolutely most of it is but there's definitely kind of he picks and chooses the words how he wants it to flow and make some changes here and there. So it is very much a, a kind of a screenplay by Wes Anderson. But you have that whole thing of as a character is talking, they will say the speech and then they will turn to the, the, the camera and then say something. So I said, like, he'll say something and he'll turn to the camera. He looked at me astonished and then turn back and say something else. That that kind of, it's a, and it's a really lovely when that happens. And like Richard Ayoade is brilliant at that. Dev Patel is brilliant at that. Um, yeah. And it, it tends to fall onto certain characters who can do that. They don't all always talk to the camera. It's very specific characters in very specific environments that kind of are telling you that story. And they are all both the characters and the narrators. It's only really the character of Roald Dahl as Ralph Fiennes that is just directly talking to the camera all the time. And he appears as characters within other ones as well. Okay, lovely. Um, Pete, what's your favourite Roald Dahl book? Because I think Roald Dahl... Um, for listeners who aren't really aware of Roald Dahl, has a real strong legacy um, within all of our respective childhoods. I would say I still remember vividly being at Brandle Primary School in Birmingham in the early 90s, all of us around the room reading um, Fantastic Mr. Fox, I think, and Danny the Champion of the World. I remember reading that. 
But, yeah. And I know, Sam, your favourite story is George's Marvelous Medicine. Absolutely. Yeah. Kick ass. But it's, but it's things as well of like, I remember like we would watch on TV, like Rick Mayle reading Roald Dahl. Like, I remember like Rick Mayle distinctly him reading George's Marvelous Medicine. Um, and that kind of, that kind of is embedded in my mind. I got I was really happy the day when I found out that my six year old Toby, like they're reading Fantastic Mr. Fox in his class, and I was like that that was my favourite Roald Dahl, and like it's brilliant that he's he's now kind of he's have having that story kind of read in 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 class, so it's still there. Yeah, I gotta say, I I never really <laughs> liked any of them. <laughs> like Fair you're enough. the worst. I I, 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 I well. I found them all really, even as a kid, and this probably says oh, quite a lot. <laughs> all of us have got me. a smirk about what are you going to yeah. say? No, come yeah. on. So, so what did you find about them, Pete? Sorry, well, little I child of them, Pete. I, little child of Pete. <laughs> your, your toes are poking out of your socks. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, but um, I think I found them really childish. Like I know that's really, I know that's really like obviously, but like. I, I even as a kid when I when I was subjected to them I just kind <laughs> oh, of jeez I just yeah, kind okay. of found them I found them a bit like on the nose like I like for example um like I, all of his female characters who are baddies are all very much of a sort and like it's all very ob- like Mrs Trunchbull is like the archetype right like she's she's the big she's the big fat silly woman right like and and i just and and that's a lot of yeah but she's also the opposite of the hero teacher yeah absolutely no i totally agree but like but like i yeah they're all he deals a lot a lot in stereotype and like i just found them really boring because of that but yeah, so I, as a kid, I just kind of didn't really like them. I was more interested in, I don't know. Go on. I don't know, like... Sun Tzu? Can't. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez. I don't know, like, I, I, I guess I wasn't really reading them. I was, I was more interested in things like, probably equally insensitive books, like um, like Willard Price's, like, like, Africa Adventure and, like, Safari Adventure and stuff like that. I was more Jesus, interested in, like, a, just, the adventure the, the modern renaissance child. Yeah, I just... know. I know. But, yeah. You just had a boarding school upbringing in a primary, <laughs> in, like, <laughs> council estate yeah, basically. budget. I mean, it's um, extraordinary, yeah. Because, you know, for listeners, we are all the same age. We are, yes. Yeah, ex- yes. yes. Okay, fine. So... So I felt well, yes, but when you grow the up, the man who asked for Wells, socks for Christmas, you grow up in like you grow up in something like twenty, thirty years earlier. But I think I found those books a bit silly and puerile, and a bit stereotypical, like a lot of stereotypical characters. And I think at the time, I just found them a bit a bit boring. So if I was if I was more interested when I was interested in like silly stuff or um, things that were a bit more whimsical. I was more into what were the were they called Happy Bones the family the, or the family, funny bones yeah the funny bones Al, Jane and Alan Alberg I think wrote those something like that like I was more into in a dark dark town on a dark dark street yeah yeah that yeah. I was much more into that I was kind of more interested in things like Doctor Seuss that's okay. that's much younger than Roald Dahl though yeah absolutely but I found I mean same uh, with the funny bones yeah 
I found I found the whimsy in those things more interesting. So that when I was about the right age for Roald Dahl, I was probably like over oh. it. I was just over it. I was just like whatever. Oh mother, <laughs> these books are far too whimsical now, for me. Now bring me my caviar and hors d'oeuvres. Sam, Sam, <laughs> Sam, Dan. I think a bit like you know when Sam saw Venom on a plane that was meant to be for everyone. <laughs> Is there a way in which we could take a classic Roald Dahl story and make it for Pete? Is there a way in which we could do that? Dial up the whimsy well, yeah, definitely. and dial you down could, the you childishness? Turn, you could turn Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in a, into a health and safety procedural <laughs> nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> where, where Willy Wonka's brewing beer. Yeah, no, no, it's where Willy Isn't Wonka... a Family Guy episode? It's where, yeah. it's where Willy Wonka's explaining his lean manufacturing process. <laughs> How, and how he's in hired a listed of illegal hired a listed of crew of illegal immigrants to work yeah, on his chocolate factory. <laughs> then, and yeah, when he when he tries to break the unions. <laughs> oh dear. Do you what? do you like Wes Anderson, Pete? I'll be honest. I I I don't know who Wes Anderson is. Is he the guy who did? Is was he the guy who did Alien? No, that was. Really I love scary. the fact that we've talked just at length about who Wes Anderson is and the things that he's done. And Pete no, I'm sorry, that I'm is, just thinking about the so ones that I saw. What did he do? He's thinking of. He's thinking of something, something Anderson, the horror. Director. Oh, Paul W. Paul Paul W. S. Anderson. Paul W. S. Anderson. Is he? Are they, they're thinking. not the same person. No, they're not. Neither is Jerry Anderson. No. But they're so close. W and S. It's there all. Is Pamela. It's there. It's right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the works of if you want I'm just, watching, I'm just picturing all the Andersons just in slow motion running across a beach <laughs> three, three down three nice podcast centric themed gifts and all we're mm-hmm. left now with Pete, just just to round it off, to make it four out of four. Pete, what did you ask for? I'm glad you asked, Dan. I asked for socks. Yeah. Brilliant. <sighs> yeah. Now, look, here's the reason why. Because, first of all, who doesn't need socks? Yeah. True. And second of all, there. <laughs> yep. Second of all, uh, this year, for me, when I sort of, you know, around this sort of period of time, I'm starting to think about looking back on the year, about my achievements... And I'm just reminded of my great sock swizz of going on a holiday and leaving rubbish socks in different parts of the Not world. Not just socks, underwear as well. Yeah. And underwear as well. I don't think anyone objected to the socks, really. It was the underwear that was the headline act. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, I needed some more socks. And I thought, you know what? That, I, I had a good old little laugh at that. And then I thought, do you know what? I actually do need some more socks. So this has come from SC. Uh, it's very nicely wrapped. Beautifully wrapped. That looks oh. that that looks that looks like a very expensive single pair of socks, theoretically. It, it does look like a very expensive single pair of socks. It was either or, wasn't it? Really, it was either going to be a bulk buy where you'd have like all, the, all of your socks the rest of your life bought for you, yeah, or yeah, it was going exactly. to be a very expensive pair of very, socks, very pricey pair of socks. Folks, we've done it. We've hit height. This is this is absolute. Oh my goodness! Okay, there's two pairs of socks in here. Wow! Now the oh. a tenner a pair, a tenner a pair. I can believe it. 
Now the first is a pair of from silly socks. Uh, is a pair of brogue socks. So they. Oh, that's like, classic. Uh, yeah, I like they, those. These are classy socks. They look, so brogues are like leather, nice leather shoes, basically, um, with some. And in fact, not only are they brogues, they're also brogues and then socks on top of the brogues. So you get a pair of socks pretending to be a pair of socks, which I think is quite good, actually. I think <laughs> that's, that's very quite, good. That's quite bold. <laughs> I like that a lot. That's wonderful. Uh, and they're from all the way from Norwich. Shout out. But, but <laughs> shout out. But the, the piece de resistance of the socks has got to be these one of a kind surely one of a kind i wish this was an ad staying in podcast no socks yes, oh my god that uses the key art from our podcast on either side oh jeez either side of the pair of socks and now i can carry my pals and myself and, and they're labeled left and right <laughs> and they're labeled left and right so you know that me and dan me and dan are always right <laughs> Yeah. Does it, does it does it refer yeah. to the political compass of us? Uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Um and yeah, so basically uh they are absolutely incredible. Uh I actually have a very important business meeting tomorrow and I think I'm just going to wear them because and nothing else. No, nothing quite yeah, nothing quite says I'm holding all the power in the relationship. Like a picture of yourself on your socks. Are you gonna do? Are you, are you just gonna put like one foot on the desk, like like? Yeah, just squat. like squat. Take a look at Lefty. Yeah, but who, who are you gonna show? He's talking about. That's the thing. I'm gonna. Sh- I'm gonna show. Are you are you <laughs> gonna, gonna show, show yourself? A- yeah, I'm gonna show a picture of myself. I'm gonna be like, I'm so confident that I'm gonna show a picture of myself to you, uh, and that's just you know just a real power move. These are incredible. These are absolutely incredible, and I will treasure them forever. These are probably these will, de- in fact, not probably. These will definitely not be uh, left in a Bavarian hotel. Uh, these will be not. treasured forever. No. They're incredible. If you had to leave them, though, P, what is the place you'd leave them? And it's befitting of the sock. Well, it would be a hotel, uh, but it, but the country is important. Where do we need more listenership, Pete? <laughs> Everywhere. <laughs> where Where are we trying to break into next? Uh, I would love to be big in Japan. That's that's what I, I would love to be big in Japan. I have like a huge audience in Japan. That'd be amazing. Yeah, these would be left in a in a, a beautiful Japanese capsule hotel because uh, they've been worn through with love through overuse and overwearing. These are absolutely <laughs> top drawer. Well, bottom drawer, but you know what I mean. Incredible. Do you put Bang. your socks in the bottom drawer? Incredible socks. I keep them in the bottom drawer, mate. I'm a top drawer boy. Yeah, Pete, Pete, Pete just steps into his drawer and just yeah. moves, shakes his feet around. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> done. Um, yeah, they're incredible. Thank you ever so much, SC. I was, I'm a huge fan of these. Okay, can I just do a little roll call of your Christmas tradition? So, Pete, the Baileys will be polished off. Mm-hmm. Sam, I presume you're going to be reading a Christmas Carol as you do every year. Every year. Wonderful. Now, Dan, you've created the Advent calendar for your wife. I have indeed. Wonderful. Excellent. But the tree's up. I've heard some Christmas-themed songs. Alex has put the, the music where I allow in the house, the Christmas music I allow in the house. Um, as long as it's not too whimsical. Um, yeah. I mean, it's basically, spoilers, it, unless it's... It's an got, audio book of... Uh, yeah, unless it's got 
Ding dong, merrily on high. Unless, uh, in heaven, the, the bells are ringing. The history of Christmas music. <laughs> Ding dong, verily the sky. <laughs> Just someone reading Christmas carols. Good King Wenceslas last looked out on the Feast of Stephen. So, so Pete, what is the music you allow? Um, I allow 19... Up to, like, I don't know, maybe 1970s, like swing christmas stuff like uh oh, yeah. Sinat- okay, sinatra cool. yeah. electric and- swing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah what yeah, about yeah. the what about the vince Caraldi trio uh yeah that'll be i'm i'm i'm, I'm cool with that that, that can, can go straight in can yeah. i introduce a genre to you pete that i've discovered that i really love christmas funk christmas <laughs> funk christmas funk that's it's, gonna be pete's uh, pete sucks on new year's day isn't it <laughs> Because they're not coming off, Sam. Because they're they'll, no, be, I know they'll not. be stitched into the long johns. Yep. What's <laughs> what is what on earth is it? Is it just what I think it is? It's Christmas plus funk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's like there's like whole albums on there where they've taken like Christmas carols and they presented like a funky version of them. <laughs> it's okay. great. Honestly, okay. it's so cool. Yeah. And that and Christmas electro swing are like my kind of genres of choice yeah. around this time as, of year. Really. As someone who finds no joy in Roll Dahl, I'll give that a go and I'll let you know how we get on. Wow. <laughs> okay. Blimey. Okay, well, listener, if you are still Yo ho ho. Uh, <laughs> thanks for listening. Uh, um, yes. We're going to, we're obviously, we're going to be back January 1st for where well, we're talking about all things New Year. Mm hmm. Yeah, we'll probably make the same joke as we always do. Like we'll say it's New Year. How are we all? And but we'll actually be recording it in like yeah, we're recording next week, aren't we? Yeah, let's be honest. we're pretty much recording next week or tomorrow or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Uh, so so look forward to that. Um, what else? We'll talk about New Year's resolutions. Yes, New Year's resolutions definitely. So uh, if you've got a resolution that you're going to be sticking to, stayinginpod.gmail.com. Uh, let us know about what that is. Uh, we're always interested. Come to the only social media page uh, that we really uh, do all that much with. Uh, we've got an Instagram channel. You can go see that. That's all nice. There's some nice pictures on there. We've also got lovely Spotify stuff where we have lots of lovely music on there curated by Chris. And uh, a whole bunch of other things as well. Uh, but you can find links to all of that stuff on stayingpodcast.com. Uh, and yeah, we'll link out to all of that good stuff. Well, look. Okay. Have a great Christmas. Yeah. Have yeah. a good one. Yeah. And do enjoy yeah, it. Have sure. a Christmas. Yeah. Here's a, and here's a tenner. Go on, slip it in. There you go. Here's a tenner, mate. You go on. You be good. Be good. Level of whimsy may vary, but the important thing is that you just have a bit of time yeah. for yourself. Do something that you love. Yeah. With people that you love, or without. Or without. But wearing some nice socks. Oh, judgy. And just enjoying the time of year in what in however you keep yep. it. Yep. And hopefully SC got you everything you wanted. Yeah. Oh, SC out. Bodacious baby. Bunga. <laughs> Have you heard from SC? The last message I saw was uh Paradise Killer is on sale, and if I want to really make good on this twenty quid <laughs> God, I need to you get better it buy now, it soon. Pretty much. <laughs> Thanks, SC. Thanks, SC. Always looking for a bargain. God. He's got all these people to look after across the globe, but he's making time for me to ensure I get the hottest deals. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then.